Hello, Monetization Nation. Today, I'm joined by Mitch Joel. Mitch is an entrepreneur, a frequent keynote speaker, and has written books such as Six Pixels of Separation. He speaks frequently to groups such as Google, Walmart, Starbucks, Microsoft, Procter & Gamble, and Twitter. In today's episode, we're going to discuss how to adapt to disruptions in a changing marketplace. Welcome to Monetization Nation. I'm grateful to have you on the show today. Um, can you start off, Mitch, by sharing with us something that you are super passionate about? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm very lucky to work in this space that I'm super passionate about. So I'm super passionate about the intersection of brands, consumer behavior, and technology. Um, it's just an area that I've always been interested in my whole life. And I've been lucky enough that I've been able to work and play in it for, you know, close to 20 plus, maybe 30 years at this point. I don't even know. So in all of those 30 years you've been doing it, what's been the greatest home run that you've hit? You know, I think. I've been fortunate. I've, I've had many. Yeah, I was involved in a search engine before Google existed. And so seeing the validation of those models that we were putting forward into the marketplace become this multi-billion dollar you know, near monopolistic industry would be, you know, part luck, part privilege, but, but a path that I was on. Uh, being able to build a, a very significant digital marketing agency with my three business partners and then have that sold to WPP, which at the time was and the number one player in the marketing communication space would be another publishing my two books, six pixels of separation, control, alt delete, being able to continually run my podcast that I do every week called six pixels of separation, which has been going for over 15 years. I think it's the longest running you know, podcast in business, at least. Um, yeah, I've just been really lucky. And I, I think, you know, with all that, just the, the ability to be able to collect conversations and meet interesting people and, and be fortunate that, you don't really have to work for a living, I think has been <laughs> all, all a part of it. So when you say you haven't had to work for a living, what do you mean by that? Yeah, there's work to live and there's live to work. And then there's people who just choose their own path and get a lot of luck and a lot of fortune and a lot of privilege. And I happened to fall into the last one where I, I never really pursued things because I thought there would be some massive monetary gain, but in pursuing those interests, and, and taking them seriously and trying to understand the business model of them, I found, you know, the opportunity to, to lead a very interesting life that, 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 that is devoid of at least now, you know, the, the financial burdens of it, which wasn't at the beginning. And I didn't know that it would lead there. So yeah, over the years, I've been fortunate that it wasn't really about just that pursuit of sustainability of paying bills. I, I had that that trauma for a long time, but was just fortunate to be able to build and, and move beyond that. Can you just share with us your story? What this, the story to become this digital marketing expert, this expert on connection um, and, and many of these other niches that you've kind of specialized in. Uh, will you tell us your journey? Yeah. I mean, it, it goes back to the late eighties when I was a rock journalist in my teenage years and I was writing for a couple of publications and then wound up publishing my own while at the same time, really interested in technology and grew up around having Atari 800s and Atari 2600s in the home and seeing the real early days of the internet in the early nineties come to fruition. Uh, from there, worked at a, a newspaper magazine within the community here where I live in Montreal 
where I was exposed to a couple of people who were building this meta search engine. And again, this is before Google existed, went through the entire boom bust and echo of that, uh, helped be a part of a very interesting business in the mobile content play, which again, back then, it was a world where there wasn't even interoperability between carriers for text messaging, or let alone web browsers or smartphones. Um, had a record label and then was fortunate enough to meet these partners and build Twist Image, which then became Miram post acquisition of WPP. And within that, you know, started the blog, Six Pixels of Separation, the podcast very early days, again, over 15, 16, 17 years ago. And I continue it to this day. Fortunate to publish two books, was able to become a professional speaker in all of that. And when I left the business, you know, going back about three years ago now, I was able to take those assets of six pixels of separation and just continue on with that. So I get to speak when it's not COVID all over the world. Now I get to do it by webcam, but it's opening up. I get to write, I get to podcast, I get to do interviews like this. And I get to invest in advising companies. And now I'm working on another startup with one of my former business partners that you know is very much in stealth mode right now and in primary development. Um, and that's a very long way to tell you about an even longer journey that, that was you know, 30 years of work. One of the topics that you're talking about now is, is the great compression. So this, this uh, building a business in the, the post- 19 COVID-19 world. Would you share with us a little bit your, your thoughts about that? Yeah. I mean, again, being somebody who had seen the real digital come together in the early nineties, this story isn't new to me. I'm, I'm not the consumer that I'm talking about in the great compression. You know, what happened when COVID hit in March, April of last year is everybody digitized from our youngest of young K1 kids on their iPads, having to go to homeschooling if they were lucky to have it, to our eldest of elderly, where we were slipping iPads underneath the door so we could FaceTime with them and see if they're okay and then teach them or help them figure out how to get their groceries and, and their necessities and things like that. And that's the stuff I had been living in for a long period of time, but we as an industry had been waiting for. We, we, we would talk in the industry about 30-30, which is by 2030, 30% of all commerce would be digital. We crushed that. We were at sub 15% prior to COVID. And then you know, during the pandemic, we were probably in the 70s and 80% at certain moments. Now it, it's, it's declining back, but it's staying around that 30. And that's the great compression. We yeah. have this moment in time where not only did our habits fundamentally change, but how we shop and how we engage with business has changed. And none of it is news to people like me and probably not to somebody like yourself either. But to see it happen in that great of a pace because of the pandemic is, is very telling. And within that, it's, it's hard to not also acknowledge the, that digital divide and how much greater it probably became for a large swath of people as well. And so when they talk about this in relation to this K recovery, I think the K recovery is more impactful of people. There are some people that thrived during this time because they were ready for it. They understood it. Um, and, and, and there was advantages to be taken uh, in these moments. But then there are people who really got decimated or that acceleration because of their lack of digitization became very exposed. Um, and then there's just people who you know, plainly have been dealing with, with a lot of grief and sadness in this time as well. 
So it's an interesting place to be where you have some people that did exceptionally well. And I'm not just talking about you know, people who sell pools who did very, very well. I'm talking about the economy. I'm talking about people who have or are fortunate enough to have stocks. It's, it's absurd that you went through a global pandemic and some people are up 20 points. Yeah, because so, they picked the right stocks. Well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, if you look at which stocks did exceptionally well, they are, they're primarily retail stocks. There wasn't really any surprises in there. So if you had a bit of Amazon and a bit of Apple and a bit of Google and a bit of Facebook and a bit of Netflix and on and on and on, which we've been talking about these, what Professor Scott Galloway calls these unregulated monopolies for some time, you know, the volatility wasn't really there. And then if you have anybody who's managing your money with an inkling of insight, you know, investing in Shopify, which I have very close ties to, pretty obvious. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't really any dramatic surprises. I mean, there was surprises in terms of your whole Reddit and GameStop thing, which I, I don't really consider part of the market so much as a, as a, as a protest against it. Um, so no, I think the vast majority of people who hold stocks, which is a small percentage of Americans in particular, did really well. And that's a, that's a tough thing to think about in, in a world where at the same time in the States, we could look at what, 600,000 people died during a pandemic. Yeah. It's, it's a kind of weird dichotomy that we face. And so again, that compression is that speeding up and that accelerant and those things that we've been talking about, like it's coming, it's coming that arrived and are here and became foundational to many businesses. For a long time, the, the smaller local retailer wasn't really thinking digital. And then all of a sudden when they were closed, they started taking orders by email or phone. And then they right. realized I probably need a Shopify to do this. And you next thing you know, these small mom and pop merchants that are selling consumables are fully digitized. They're, they're no longer, you know, they've updated their cash registers to take the tap because they know, you know, we want to live in a more contactless world. So, so we saw that, that compression, that transformation of all these technologies we saw and we acknowledged as being viable, get in market and get in play. And then the bigger part for me is the foundational change in our consumer behavior because of it. Okay. So to restate that, make sure I'm understanding what you're saying. When you talk about this great compression, you're talking about a compression of time. There were these technologies and these strategies that worked and many businesses were eventually adopting them. And, and the, the pandemic compressed the time frame and forced people's hands. So they had to adopt these technologies and, and, get these strategies implemented. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. And also our behavior and how we act and how we buy and how we communicate with one another. The compression wasn't just speed of adoption. It was behavioral. One thing we talk a lot about on this show are tectonic shifts. And, you know, think of the tectonic shifts in geology, where you have two tectonic plates moving against each other. And, and where that happens, you know, you can have massive destruction like earthquakes and and uh, volcanic eruptions. You also can have massive growth like mountain formations. And we use that analogy for business. The, the tectonic plates, the tectonic shifts of business are, are constantly transforming the business landscape. And the shift from yellow pages to search engines or the shift from bricks and mortar to the internet or the shift from um, uh, desktop to smartphones, right? Um, we call them tectonic shifts. You, you've been talking a lot about disrupting disruption and how to decode the future, to find what's next. 
um, how to prime your business for tomorrow. So I, I think we're talking about the same thing and using a different term for it. Would you share with us a little bit your advice for that? How, how do businesses kind of see what's next and, and how do we prime our businesses for what's coming? Yeah, it, it's more of a zoom out, zoom in strategy than it is the, the types of shifts you're talking about. Because I, I could argue back, well, you know, people still see things and they decide if they want them and then they buy them and then they're either loyal to you or they're not. Right. And so I'm doing it on a phone, but I did it on a TV last week. I did it in a, in a paper book called the Yellow Pages and I do it online and it hasn't really... So th that argument in a simplistic way is, is one that we could make. I think the opportunity is to look at things that have already become more massively adopted and wonder where your business fits in the mold. Right. So I'll give you a quick example of that. If you look at things like streaming services, and a lot of us understand this more than ever coming out of the pandemic because we bought more, we viewed more, we were binging more. You could look at that and think, well, streaming services and video, that's cloud. And then there's also like a lot of content and video and it's nothing to do with me. Or you could look at the, these models and say, well, what's happening here? So what's happening is suddenly consumers are paying a small monthly fee to have access to an entire library or database rather than buying one thing. It also means that they don't want that physical thing that DVD, that CD, that physical media. It also means that they don't even want that physical thing if it's going to take up hard drive space on their computer. Yeah. So what, what do we have in our business that might be library or database that we are selling individually or thinking of disposing to our consumers individually that we might be able to let them self-select on? Wow. Now, suddenly the Netflix model, which has become a good consumer behavior, small monthly access to small fee for monthly access to an entire library, which by the way, you could do for free if you really wanted to be disruptive. Maybe there's an entirely new business model there. And you look and you look at, at what was rec replicable in that. And, and you know, again, we're, we're in North America, I'm in Canada. I think about MLS for real estate. It's exactly that. It's like every single person can see every single listing in the database versus before where I had to call a real estate agent and I would only see their listings or the person in the cubicle next to them. And suddenly that database being opened hasn't killed real estate agents or changed real estate. It's maybe made it very, very different and even more powerful potentially. Yeah. And so if you think about that in terms of being, you know, it could be B2B, it could be pharma highly regulated. Maybe we need to make our generic drugs accessible in a database model to healthcare professionals. How do we Netflix or look at financial institutions that are saying, you know, every single month our customers get their bill and they have all these transactional fees that are frustrating them and they're all over the place. What if we had them pay a monthly fee to have access to all of the services? And they're doing that. So to me, when I talk about disrupting disruption, that's what I'm looking about at. Those are the models that I'm looking at. So you, you're saying find something that's working really well in other industries and other niches, and then discipline ourselves to ask the question, how can I apply this to my niche? What is the consumer behavior, not the thing, or is it popular? Right? right. So think about things like Siri or Alexa and all those things. Well, how does that apply to my business? Well, if 40 plus percent of people are now 
making searches by their voice. That means what they're typing in is different. It means what they're saying is different. It means nothing is probably coming back from them content-wise in terms of what I'm creating. Maybe that's an entire new area I need to think about. If you're a hotel, maybe you're thinking, well, I got to replace remote controls and thermostats and light switches nonstop. If I put one of these $20 devices in people's rooms, not only could they control things like the temperature, the channel, the lighting, they could also let me know if they want a bill, if they want a reservation at the restaurant, if they want their car. I mean, I could now replace a whole bunch of very expensive services that we offer with a $20 device in the room and consumers are used to that. And when they come into the room, they could hook up their playlists and have the music they love and, 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 and. Yeah. And suddenly you start thinking differently about whether or not, you know, Alexa, Siri, or, or voice assistant technology is germane to your business. And you're thinking more about how does it solve for things that are costing me too much, that are, are problems for me? What are the, the gateways or pathways to make this a better consumer experience and at the same time, a better behavior because they've already adopted it? You think about even a basic website and what it takes to find a phone number there. We live in a world where you can hit a button and have a car pick you up or swipe right and find someone to mate with. And just imagine that for a customer journey for a second. I, find, I can find someone to mate with in one swipe and it takes me five motions on my phone to even find your phone number on a website. How is that even possible? But that's the world we live in. So you can see if you can pay attention to how consumer behavior has really changed at scale, I think within that are the bigger ideas of how you truly will disrupt disruption within your industry. I love it. And I love the point that you're making here that we don't need to be as worried about the tectonic shifts or disruptions the moment they happen, right? Because they may or may not be successful, right? And if we chase everyone right as they're happening, we may waste a lot of time and energy. But if we focus more on the ones that have already achieved adoption, that have already proven successful, that have already achieved good consumer behavior trends, um, then when we roll it out, more people are already going to be using it and we'll have a less likelihood that we're going to throw money to something that, that isn't going to take. Yeah, I don't know if it, Kevin Kelly is an amazing futurist and the founders of Wired and has written some great books. And I don't know if it's him who said it, it might have been. But he said, things happen slowly and then all at once. And if you really think about it in terms of the bigger things, so the internet, social media, mobile, e-commerce. Yeah, I've been talking about e-commerce since the, the 90s. But here we are in the Great Compression, you know, 2021. So you go, well, it's happened really fast. I mean, look at Shopify. Happened really fast. Shopify has been in business over 10 years. And they came in, one might argue, very late in the game. There was a world of demand wares and other platforms that were very much owning the e-commerce infrastructure space. And yet we look at them and think, how did that happen out of nowhere? Well, it's nowhere if you consider 10 plus years and 30 years of a, you know, it's not really nowhere. It's almost a lifetime. So it happens really slowly and then all at once. Thank you so much, Mitch, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, we can monetize our own passions by researching business models and finding an opportunity within our area of interest. Number two, COVID-19 acted like a great compression. Many businesses were forced to adopt new technologies faster because of the disruption. Number three, during disruptions in the marketplace, consumer behavior often changes as well. 
Number four, we can find opportunity by looking at things that have already become massively adopted and wonder where our business fits in the mold. Number five, if we pay attention to consumer behavior at scale, we can find more ideas for how our own business can disrupt the disruption. You can learn more about or connect with Mitch on LinkedIn or his websites, mitchjoel.com or sixpixels.com. And there's links to each of those sites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can also get a free copy of my ebook, Passion Marketing, and learn how you can become a top priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode, and I wish you success as you adapt to disruptions in a changing marketplace. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.